I actually realized the worst that could happen is the business doesn't turn around and I get fired and that's happened before, so I'll survive. The best that could happen is I get to effectively reinvent one of the greatest sports brands in the history of the world. And who wouldn't want to do that? (laughs) I'm Amy Jo Martin. Welcome to the Why Not Now show. You know that thing you've been thinking about doing? Yeah, that one. Why not now? Have you ever actually taken the time to ask yourself, what's stopping me? Let's talk it through. This is your chance to give that idea the attention it deserves and take action. Each episode, I have a chat with a fascinating person from entrepreneurs to athletes, celebrities, my parents, rocket scientists, and all walks of life. We talk through a critical time when they've asked themselves, why not now? We dissect that day or even that moment, step by step. Oh wow, we have an amazing guest today. Sarah Rob O'Hagan has been described by the media as Superwoman Undercover. She's been named one of Forbes' most powerful women in sports and one of Fast Company's most creative people in business. This woman is unmatched. She's been the global president of the $5 billion sports brand Gatorade, where she led the business through a major repositioning and business turnaround. She has also held senior positions at Nike, Virgin Atlantic, Atari. She served as the global president of Equinox, and currently she's the CEO of Flywheel Sports. If there was such a thing as a resume off, Sarah would win. I don't know too many people, if anyone, that has a portfolio of brands of that caliber that they've led. But it hasn't always been a smooth ride for Sarah. In fact, she gets squirmy when people read bios because she knows they're not the whole truth. If you go to Sarah's resume online, you will find the truth. Listed, you will see the companies where she's worked, the roles she has had, and a description of her performance according to herself. I've never seen anything like this, and I was incredibly amazed when I read her descriptions, so let me read a couple to you. VP of Marketing, Atari Interactive, 2000 to 2002. To describe her role, Sarah writes, EPIC FAIL, in all caps. Joined the company overlooking the fact that I hate video games. Had zero understanding of the product, the consumer, or the business. Ended up getting sidelined to run non-core projects and then laid off. Prior to that, she lists Virgin Atlantic as the director of marketing. She writes, totally crushed it at Virgin Atlantic Airways with the wildly acclaimed collaboration with the Austin Powers movie on the campaign Virgin Shaglantic. Then went on to get promoted to lead marketing for Virgin Megastores, where I was fired after one year for being too cocky, unwilling to ask for help, 
out of my depth, and ineffective. So my point is, Sarah keeps it real. In this conversation, she is very candid about her career, what's gone wrong, why, how you can leapfrog her lessons, and everything in between. She gives invaluable interviewing advice that I've never heard. And we also learn how career trajectories aren't always linear. Sarah recently called Time Out to write her book titled Extreme You. Step out, stand up, kick ass, repeat. So get your pen and paper or your notes app out and make sure you listen all the way through. This one is stacked with takeaways. We tackle the most taboo topics on the Why Not Now show. Oftentimes, you're hearing guests share things they've never shared before. In the spirit of things we don't typically talk about, you should know that the Why Not Now show is supported by Poopery, the original before-you-go toilet spray. It's magic. My friends at Poopery have literally taken the smell out of you-know-what. This pure blend of essential oils stops bathroom odor before it begins. Visit Poopery.com and Why Not Now listeners get 20% off with code Why Not Now. That's all one word. And you can hear the story about Poopery in our interview with founder Susie Batiste. That's Why Not Now, episode 28. Poopery is also available at Target. Sarah, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I am awesome. It's so great to be finally connecting with you. Likewise, likewise. Let's hop right in. Yeah. Can you tell me about a time when you had a big decision to make and you had to ask yourself, why not now? Yes, I sure can. <laughs> there have been plenty of them, but um, the one that probably first jumps to my mind is, um, gosh, it's about almost 10 years ago now, as I re recall, my daughter is now 10. That's how I know. Uh, and I was working at Nike. I'd been there for about six years and absolutely loved it. Having the time of my life, my career was on a good trajectory. And this opportunity came in to be the CMO of Gatorade. And it required moving to Chicago. So my, moving my family and in amongst the decision, as I was actually interviewing, I discovered I was pregnant with number three. <laughs> wow. Um, and so, and it was one of those things where there was so many reasons why not, I would say, <laughs> because of, it just felt like such a very disruptive move at a time with all these things going on. But in the end, I just realized why not now? And I think it was a little bit like, you know, there's never a good time for a big leap opportunity and they don't open the door to you with something like that all that often and hell why not now <laughs> and so you went for it so I sure did with that decision making process what is your go-to for those types of big moves and decisions are you a pros and cons list is it total gut intuition is it talking it through with the family well, definitely talking it through with my husband. He's like a really good sounding board and, you know, something like that that affects all of us. But I definitely, um, you know, when I think more specifically about my career, I don't know what this says about me, but I tend to be a what's the worst that can happen kind of girl. And it's funny, I, I remember in that instance, you know, it was a very risky move because I was going from a job and a company that was just so right for me. And I was going into something that was 
a business in decline and an industry I knew nothing about. And, you know, there was a lot of reasons to be quite fearful actually. But in the end, I actually realized that, you know, the worst that could happen is the business doesn't turn around and I get fired. And by the way, that's happened before, so I'll survive. But the best that could happen is that I get to effectively reinvent one of the greatest sports brands in the history of the world. And who wouldn't want to do that? <laughs> right. So this is this is what I think is fascinating. The fact that and having researched and read about you and you've interviewed before on the, the question of or the the time in your life when you were fired before and and another time when you were laid off, right? Yes. So if you hadn't had those experiences, do you think you would have been as willing to jump from Nike to Gatorade, A, and B, you already kind of knew the worst thing. You had been through that. It Was that why you asked that question? Is that kind of where that roots from? Yeah, definitely. No, I think to answer your first question, I, I feel so clearly that I wouldn't have made this big of a risk had I not experienced, you know, some of those more difficult uh, situations earlier in my career. And I think it really helped me understand that as painful as those really tough moments of adversity are, they almost always, like categorically always, put in you such a deep reservoir of resilience that you kind of have a stronger courage to go after these bigger moves. And I think as you get further up your career, there's more on the line every time. And, you know, I think just knowing that you've survived tough things before really, really helps. And I think just makes you go, what is the worst that can happen? You've, you've seen some pretty bad things and you know, you'll be okay. It's just such a, an awesome takeaway. I think even for you know, entrepreneurs too, and myself having, when I worked in the NBA for the Phoenix Suns and I Mm. took the leap of starting my own company. It was the scariest leap, but the next one and the next one and the next one didn't feel half as scary because I had yeah. felt that before, right? So we yep. we have that to, like you said, that kind of resilience muscle or that memory of, oh, it's, it's actually not that bad. It's the first one that's the hardest. So, yeah. and, and so when I was listening to a, an interview of you on um, a morning talk show and you were talking about how one day you were being introduced, I don't know if you were speaking or you were going on to some stage, and they were talking about all your accolades and just rattling off. And by the way, you've worked for all the brands that I've had the biggest crush on. So I want to <laughs> ask you some questions on that front. But but back to the story. So you talked about how you realized, wait, there's more to the story than this. Let's tell the truth. And can you kind of share that again for us? Because I just thought this was a a really smart and uh, powerful takeaway. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I um, it actually was a very pivotal moment in my life. I was, you know, had gone through the turnaround of Gatorade, which, you know, is a long and painful story of almost tanking the business <laughs> completely uh, that led to ultimately great success. And as we all know, in today's media world, there's nothing that we love more than a success story. And so I went from sort of being the butt of every analyst called joke at PepsiCo to suddenly, you know, Gatorade was this great success story and everyone wanted to write about it. And I was suddenly like on these great lists as, you know, a leader that did this, that and the other. And I can remember being interviewed, uh, introduced 
with all these great accolades and literally sitting in my chair feeling awkward and squirming because I was like, wait, they've left out the bit that I got fired and I'm lying if I don't tell the truth. <laughs> and, um, and it's actually what led me to begin this very long road of exploration around how we talk about success in our society today. And I think I worry a lot for the next generation because we put so much time putting people on pedestals and actually not telling the really tough stories of what they went through to get there to help everyone realize that risk-taking and failure and bad decisions and mistakes are all part of that important journey. And so I really wanted to start to change that culture in my own little way, which is what obviously led me to writing my book. I just love that. And I was thinking if we started to celebrate more and actually make it a um, common thing where mm-hmm. we include those types of stories or non-accolades, <laughs> you know, when people are being introduced or were they become less taboo or just more normalized. And oh, I think it's 100%. starting to happen, but that would be so powerful. What if in everyone's bio, they also bragged about a time that things went horribly wrong and what they learned about it, you know? Well, I, I fondly call it an anti-resume. And if you look at my LinkedIn profile, I have listed in all their glory the massive fuck-ups and mistakes, and I'm very proud of them. <laughs> I love that, Sarah. When I had uh, my company, we had a blessing wall, a combination of a lesson and a blessing. We called it a blessing. I love that. And we would celebrate them, and we'd, you know, really be – encouraging each other to use the blessing wall because if we can share with other people and it's up there on the wall in the office, then you can probably save someone else from making that same mistake. I love it. That's so cool. Yeah. I love your anti-resume. That's that's, We need to get that more trendy or something. Yes, exactly. So you're in these awesome sexy brands, some of the biggest iconic brands in the world, and you continue to innovate yourself. And as this is happening and the world's shifting, you see more and more people freelancing and having side hustles. And Mm. are you finding that it's becoming more difficult to attract younger talent and keep them? Or how are you adjusting to kind of this free agency world as a leader and a flywheel now, such a progressive brand? How does that work into your kind of company culture strategy? Yeah, I think you're asking such an important question because I I do feel that culturally we are in this big shift to, you know, the economy where people certainly don't necessarily commit and certainly don't stay for a long time in roles and companies. But you know what? It's funny. I I talk a lot when I'm especially speaking to younger people about the importance of setting yourself apart from the competition by sticking with things for a little bit longer. Because I think, you know, we've all interviewed that candidate that's come along and has job hopped around every six months. And when you interview them, there's just no depth of examples and experiences and you don't want to be that person. With that said, I actually think side hustles can be hugely beneficial to the company. And so I very much love seeing our talent at Flywheel. You know, many of them are involved in all sorts of different things outside of Flywheel from nonprofits to speaking to whatever it may be. And and I think that's it's great for us and great for them when someone can develop themselves and 
develop skills that are complementary to what we're trying to do. So I think it's a delicate balance of both, you know, but what I would say, I always caution people from taking a job and then spending 80% of your time on your side hustle. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because your employer might notice after a while. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's become so common too. It's, uh, we used to have hobbies and now we have, we're making money off of our hobby basically on moonlighting. And that's exactly right. It's a really interesting kind of well, it's not a juxtaposition, but it, it turns into being kind of this time thing too, and like where you're you're putting your heart and your passion, your energy. So, as someone who has worked and and been at very senior levels of of these amazing brands, from Nike to Gatorade to Equinox, Virgin, Atari, Flywheel, you have landed. I mean, clear, clearly because of your experience, but, and you've even talked about having some ups and downs, especially in your 20s. Mm. You must interview like a rock star, Sarah. <laughs> because, <laughs> like, like, oh, and then I'm headed over. What are some of the, I mean, it's such a generic question, but I have to ask, and I never really ask this question, but you're just, you have that impressive of a resume. What are some of the things that you give for advice when people are interviewing? Yeah. I'm glad you actually asked me that because no one ever has. And it's really? a great question. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, there's a couple of things I would say is first of all, sort of closing out the last topic we were talking about. Listen, I have been that person that was fired uh, once and then laid off the next time around and then managed to talk myself into getting hired by Nike, which was my dream job. Right. So one would think, how on earth did you explain your way out of the last two disasters of your career? And I actually found that going in the door with utter honesty and framing it as this is what went wrong and this is what I've learned about myself and therefore why that's not going to happen again and why I know here's what I do great and here's where I need to be supported or partner with others – I just think it's very disarming to an interviewer because they're instantly looking at you going, you're not trying to bullshit them. You're not trying to cover stuff up. You're getting the real deal. So that would be a piece of advice, number one. And then I think number two, for those who are so great that they haven't had those embarrassing screw-ups, I do think, especially in this day and age, when you're interviewing and you really want the job, you have to go out of your way to make that job happen and to show the person in the interview process, the value that you can bring. And that requires going above and beyond, like consuming the product, coming in with thoughts and ideas, thinking of ways to show off the bat, here's how I would create value. And I think that is the one thing that frustrates me a lot with young people who will often you know, say, I, I can't get a job because the economy is too competitive or whatever it may be. And it's like, but they stop at no instead of saying it's up to me to differentiate myself and create value that this employer is going to buy. And I almost tell people, think of yourself like a consumer product. Why would someone buy you off the shelf, you know? <laughs> right. Now, that's that's invaluable advice. And it's even your point number one, you're immediately changing the dynamic of the conversation if you're uh, addressing these topics in a way that they're not used to. So it's it's a pretty cool level set, I imagine, to to uh, get real and, and be transparent. You know, thank you for that. Wow. 
I'm going to take a quick time out here and point a few things out. How often do you get business advice and interviewing guidance like this from someone who's led the biggest brands in the world? Sarah is sharing things that are new to me, stuff I've never heard. For example, it's pretty amazing to hear the president of a major company talk about their willingness to support employees' side hustles. And Sarah talking about how to go about presenting this to a boss is invaluable. There are progressive corporate workplaces out there that get it and understand the world is changing. They understand that younger generations want to fulfill their passion projects that bring them so much purpose. And Sarah is designing a workplace culture so you can have it all. That's really refreshing. And Sarah has seen it all. What she said about how to set the tone right out of the gate in an interview setting really resonated with me. Her specific tips and advice are unique and unexpected. Speaking of advice, you hear me talk about mentorship a ton on this show, and that's because my mentors have been massively critical in helping me navigate my career and my life. I've even had these people on the show on a regular basis. The guidance they've given me and offered up has been absolutely life-changing, and I want that for you too. So I'm looking for someone to mentor, and I've partnered with Bumble Biz to find the right match. You're probably familiar with Bumble for dating or even Bumble Friendship, known as Bumble BFF. Well, Bumble Biz is career-focused. It's stacked with business opportunities, and it's a smart way to expand your professional network. I'm on the app now, and I'll be picking someone to match up with for a mentorship in the near future. And if you're not familiar with Bumble, put them on your radar. I've had a crush on this brand since the early days, and I'm thrilled we're taking things to the next level with this new partnership. Now we're dating. Well, actually, it's strictly biz. You see what I did there? If you're interested in getting some guidance and spending one-on-one time with me, download Bumble and switch your mode by pressing the logo on the top and move it into Bumble Biz. So try it now. If not you, then who? And if not now, then when? Why not now? Okay, so back to my conversation with Sarah. She's about to tell us something that's very valuable. As you're listening to her next story, remind yourself that our career trajectories are not always linear, and progress is not always linear. Here's Sarah telling us about a surprising move along her career path that from the outside looking in might have appeared to come out of left field, but it was actually her true path, and it ended up slingshotting her forward. If we look at the last couple of years for you, and you wrote your book, Extreme You, mm-hmm. and you decided to take, so that was a bit of a, a move from the kind of natural trajectory, right? This was yep. a shift. I, that had to have been a why not now moment to kind of get off the train. How did you come across, or, or how did you navigate that decision? 
No, that was when I was thinking about my why not now moment. That was the first one that probably came to my mind. So I, yes, had been on the career, you know, what would you call it? You know, ladder for mm-hmm. at that point, 20 plus years. And every job I'd ever had, like a recruiter would come and poach me from a role. So I was going straight from one to the next. And so here I was, and I'd been at, at uh, the time I was working for Equinox Fitness Clubs as the president there, and I'd been there for a couple of years, and and I had started to sort of uh, form the idea in my head for what became the book because it was more just curiosity and research-driven and just this desire to help this new generation coming into the workplace that was leading me down that path. And at first, I just kept shutting it off and saying, no, 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 I, that's not what I do. I'm an executive. And then the more I developed the idea, the more it gained steam, then I you know, get a publishing deal and all these things. And, and it, talk about a why not now moment, because I just realized that if I didn't at the time quit my job, commit myself 100% to this project – that I knew I'd be disappointed. I knew that it would be a half-assed effort of me sort of trying to patch it together on the side instead of really going all in and, and frankly, getting the sort of personal learnings and fulfillment that comes out of going so deep into an area of exploration. So that was kind of why I did it. In the end, I was like, what's the worst can happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, you know, I get through this process I realize I'm done and I'll just go look for another job. What's the best that can happen? You know, it will open new doors for me and, and it will lead me into different places that I may not have done before. And I would say both have happened in gloriously exciting ways. It's so cool to to see you then. You're Now you're kind of back in that executive role, but you also have this other avenue that you or have this like parallel. So you've yeah. you've kept both doors open too. It's not like you've just navigated. So it's a lesson in you, know, you can do more than one thing. You might need to take a little time out, but you can come back to it. And it's that's, that's super cool. When you were writing the book, what was your biggest surprise? <laughs> I, I would say actually the biggest, the first surprise was quitting the corporate world. And then I, I laughed a lot about how I went from the schedule of like back to back meetings every day. I mean, in that job I had what 15,000 people in the team and it was a full on job and you're traveling everywhere and everyone needs you everywhere to literally the next day. I have nothing but I'm sitting at a laptop in my daughter's bedroom because it's the quietest room in the house. <laughs> and, and I'm an extrovert, so that was hard. But you know, I think the biggest lesson about it, which I really, really encourage, particularly those a bit further up in their career, to, to make this happen in your life in some way, is that when you remove all of the corporate trappings and all of the people that quote unquote need you and the busyness in your day, you strip yourself down to a very naked place. Like you, you go out socially and people say, what do you do? And you're like, um, uh, I write, you know, I don't really know. I have got nothing to show for it yet. You can no longer hide behind a business card, you know, and it actually sort of makes you suddenly become, I think a more interesting person. And there's something to be said for that because I think the further up our careers we go, it's very easy to sort of fit into a persona that has come from what you do instead of really tapping more into who you are and how you like to be in the world. Mm, such a good point and so relatable. 
I went through a transition too, and I found myself just not. At one point, I didn't. I didn't want to go to certain functions because I didn't know what to say. And I, I mean, yeah, I was really, you know, watching Ellen during the day and doing a lot of reading and thinking and kind of soul searching. But how do you say that <laughs> to a bunch of colleagues? Um, that's that's crazy. That's that's so cool that you kind of arrive there. And when people ask, you know, what do you do right out of the gate? It always kind of makes me cringe. And I oh, had a, I know, I have a friend that um, instead asks, and I've started to adopt this, what are you passionate about? It's such a more interesting conversation. So great. Yeah. So yeah. great. So I have had this kind of, uh, the last three or four years, I've really been trying to understand when to make things happen versus let them happen and work on this. It's a life, it's going to be a lifelong journey, I know. As someone who has led very large companies and has to have a decent amount of analytical uh, lean, I imagine, but also is clearly very, very good. And I can tell that your intuition and just by some of your answers. You just knew. You knew you needed to go to Gatorade from Nike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you decide when to make something happen versus let it happen? Mm. I think I'm a little bit like you, my friend, in terms of I'm learning to get better at this letting things happen. Um, but I would say, you know, because for the most part, I, I've always felt that you – you have to be in, in charge of your own destiny. And I do believe you make your own luck, you know, and you, you, or as I sort of wrote about in my book, you, you get yourself in position to receive the ball. What I mean by that is like, follow your passions. Like, don't just sort of say I'm passionate about something, get in there and really explore and indulge and make it a skill set for you. And then lo and behold, an opportunity opens up and you suddenly find you have the skill sets to meet that opportunity. You know, I often think to myself, how did I end up being the CEO of a fitness company? Like nothing about my unbelievably tragic sporting childhood would have thought I would end up here, but I'm super passionate about fitness. It's like little by little, by indulging in these areas of expertise, I think when the opportunities opened up, I had sort of got myself ready to be there. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. And like you just stated, I think there's also, I think the older you get is being open to the things that you never would have expected, being open to say yes to something that wasn't on your radar. I have an example. I'm currently participating in a um, fellowship at the Aspen Institute that when it first came along, I was like, I don't have time. I'm too busy. There's no way that I'd do something like this. And then I thankfully had some people in my life who said, just say yes and explore it. And it's been like the biggest game changer of my life. And you just never know when those things come along. And so I think there's something to be said for just being very open-minded. And do you follow, like when someone says, what does your gut say or your intuition, do you have little tips or hints that pop up when you know your intuition is trying to speak up? Hmm. I mean, I, I, like you said before, I am very intuitive and I, I make all my life decisions based on intuition, a hell of a lot more than data. (laughs) And I think, and I, I have had plenty of times where I read the situation wrong, you know, and 
something that intuitively felt like it was going to be right turned out to be very different. That said, I don't regret any of those. And I think I think intuition is something that is honed by making good and bad calls along the way and by experiencing yourself in good and bad situations. So you start to have a clearer radar for where you really shine, you know. Mm, and that's interesting too And you bring it into the business world as someone who's making very serious decisions mm-hmm. and impacting a lot of lives. And I think it's something that I realized for a long time I just totally dismissed. I was <laughs> so analytical. If someone said, you know, what's your intuition say or what's your gut say, I'd be like, hmm, what do you mean? Should we get out yeah. a Ouija board here or what are you talking about? <laughs> um, but it's like, holy buckets, this is a big deal when I start listening to it a little more and like rewarding it. So as you look at people love to ask, you know, what's the next five years? What's the next 10 years look like? You've made some really cool different moves and shifts. Do you even worry about that? Do you look five years ahead or do you try to stay in your day, your month, your year? How do you plan? <laughs> your your well, minute? This is, a, this is a funny answer because when I was in my 20s, I was definitely a, the five-year plan kind of girl. <laughs> I was always like, I was very ambitious and very, you know, aware of how I wanted to progress. And then something happens when you turn 46 and you wish the world would slow down a bit and you don't want to think about being 51. <laughs> um but no, I think in all seriousness, I am much more, I really am not worrying nearly so much anymore about two years, four years, six years from now, because I think there's something to be said for getting older and just a little bit more, you just become so much more aware that the things you worry about are generally not the things that happen. It's the things that you never anticipated that change your course. And there's no point in trying to worry about them. Just step into those things that feel very, very right for you in the moment. And at the end of the day, there's nothing that can't be undone. You know, there's no decision that can't be unwound. There's no, you know, you can take or marry a person or whatever it is that if it's not right, listen, you're going to learn a ton from it and you're going to move forward. But I I think I used to feel like things were very absolute. They either were wins or losses along the way, whereas now I'm much more, I see everything as just a great moment of experience and growth, no matter what it is. It's interesting about the slowdown and I've I've heard you, someone had asked you what advice you would give to a younger version of yourself, which is usually a question I ask. And I think your answer was slow the bleep down. Yes. <laughs> slow the fuck down, slow the, it didn't show the word. I don't know which medium this was, but they couldn't evidently use that curse word. But I, I hear that often from individuals, I call them renegades like yourself, where it's either the advice would be ease up or slow down. and. It's so simple, yet I get it now as I'm about to turn 40. I was the same. And we think that everything is so absolute. Yeah. Uh, and it's even more so, I think, with technology and where we are right now with everything being instant gratification and now, now, now. Totally. Right? Kind of on the heels of that, how do you keep your mind healthy, Sarah? You know, it's funny, I'm glad you brought up instant gratification because I think that's the greatest gift of life that you start to figure out with age is that the things that you 
that take longer, that you work harder at, are generally the things that are much more fulfilling. And I think, therefore, you know, how do you, how do I keep my mind healthy? Is like I put a lot more time into relationships and people and quality, not quantity. You know, it's like I, I think in the instant gratification world, you know, I meet a lot of younger people who are just like, I need eight gazillion people on my LinkedIn connections just so I can say I've met them. It's like, yeah, but where's the quality of the relationship? Where's the great, you know, smile that you got in your day because you really are getting to know someone on a much more human level, you know? And I think to me, it's always been about friends, family, people, colleagues, relationships, that's really what fulfills us as humans. So I try and put a lot more effort into that, really. Mm, Amazing ROI, for sure. And what's one lesson you've had to learn over and over? Oh, God. I mean, first of all, I would say learning to be more patient. I'm incredibly impatient, like from waiting for the subway through to (laughs) driving business results and wanting to see things happen. Um, And I am definitely constantly having to tell myself um, to be more patient. And secondly, I think one thing I'm really trying to learn a lot more as I get older is, you know, particularly in the world we live in today and the, you know, what's going on with the women's movement and how hard we're all trying to get, you know, diverse people of all types into greater roles. And you can have moments of utter frustration and anger that we're in the place that we're in and why can't it be fixed quicker? But I'm learning to to be more, I guess, empathetic to how we got into the situation and in order to build bridges and help to change it. You know, there's no point in getting mad about it. You've got to just take a step back and try and educate and change. That's good. And as a a female who's worked in, you know, a mainly male-dominated industries, I mean, most industries are, but even more so yours, and I can relate with sports, entertainment, and technology, but on your end, really, I mean, the list in your roster is you're probably often the only female in the room or at least at the leadership level, it's been your world. So is it hard? Is there any kind of like, I don't know if reconciliation or is there any kind of justifying that, Not I'm not sure what word I'm looking for here, maybe reconciliation around this becoming such a big spotlight now because this has just always been your world. Right. No, and you definitely can relate to this with how your career started too. And I think... It, I would say it's a, um, I've described it as an awakening. I think that, you know, for many women whose careers developed the era that mine did, we were, you know, so incredibly lucky to have doors open from the generation that came before us that we were going to bust through and fight as hard as we could. And I don't think it ever occurred to us that, you know, we shouldn't have to live in this sort of architected structure that was really well designed for men. (laughs) And I think now it's like an awakening of, oh, yeah, it doesn't have to be that way. And why did it have to be that way? And, well, let's try and figure out how to evolve and move it forward. But I, I think getting mad about it is unproductive. I went to see the, um, the new Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie last weekend, Mm. which I 
highly recommend to anyone who listens to your podcast. And it was just so inspiring to see someone who was so on the forefront of very basic human rights change, but not ever getting mad about it, you know, just taking the time as quietly and patiently, methodically as you had to, to build your case and drive change. And I think we can all learn from that. Mm, Absolutely. It's been interesting to kind of have a little bit of a reflective view for me lately to think through how at times I was, I was leaning more on that, I don't know if you'd say masculine traits, but I thought I was playing, I had to learn to play the game. So I thought I needed to be a certain template or a bit of a bulldog or rough around the edges just to kind of compete in that world. And and now looking back at it, it was it was out of alignment, you know, in many cases because I just thought that's how you had to do it to progress. And and it's nice to see a little more recognition or just uh, acknowledgement of no, you know, both the whole, there's a spectrum of masculine and feminine traits, and we all reside somewhere and move and shift. But it's not just about being female or male. It's really uh, an interesting concept that has hit home with me the last couple oh, of years. I so agree with you. You framed it perfectly. Totally agree. I have some uh, rapid fire questions for you if you're ready. Mm, okay. <laughs> hey, buckle <And>, up. <laughs> <laughs> actually, before I hop into those, and it, it, it can be a rapid fire question. So you're obviously a very busy person. And um, yes, everybody is. And you probably are in a lot of meetings throughout your day. What's one thing or many things, however many pop into mind, that you do to optimize your schedule and your operating system when it comes to your your day-to-day, hour-to-hour time management? Well, I have Erica, my <laughs> assistant, who and I call her my boss, my business partner. She's everything, like who helps me really prioritize my schedule. But I think actually most importantly for me is a incredibly fierce commitment to my own health and fitness. That's how every day starts for me. And I don't, I prioritize that above everything else. And that enables me, I think, to be more productive during the day and to be to be more on. And I think the second thing I'd say, which is connected to that, is when I'm in a meeting, I am all in. I'm not on my phone. I'm not checking my email at the same time. I'm all in. And when I'm with my kids, it's the same thing. And I think there's so much multitasking that goes on in the world these days that you end up having to do the work three times because you didn't catch it the first time. <laughs> oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I try really hard not to do that so that I can make those meetings efficient, productive, and, and, and move on. Oh, good tips for sure. All-time favorite book? Long Walk to Freedom by Nelson Mandela. Such a good one. How do you quickly get yourself from crappy to happy, your mood? Um. first thing that comes to mind is just hanging out with my kids and laughing. (laughs) That's a good one. Instant dance party with them and it all changes. (laughs) And what keeps you up at night? Honestly, what keeps me up at night is just, I worry a lot about inequality in the world and I worry that the, uh, the picture is getting worse, not better. And I think that people like me, you, all of us who have an opportunity to have a voice in the world need to do everything we can to to help others move up and into the roles of leadership so that we can change the picture. Mm, so good. Timely. 
pirates or ninjas? Who's tougher and why? Mm. I think I'd say pirates. I just immediately go to an image of Johnny Depp and the good days and, <laughs> <of> the <Caribbean. laughs> and it just works for me. <laughs> there you go. I imagined you thinking of New Zealand surrounded by water, pirates. So exactly. I pegged you, know, you as fair, fair share of those. Yeah, I'm team pirates too. So and the advice to your younger self, I mean, I know that you you would advise her to slow the F down. Or whatever that that word was in the middle. Anything else that comes to mind? I think I would say really, really treasure the people around you that you love, the friendships, because there's something amazing about getting to, you know, you're a bit younger than me, but our stage in life and those people that you've been with since you were 12, 20, 25, who you're still laughing with. And the longer the time goes – the greater that the uh, relationship and the fun that you have. And so don't ever leave those people behind. Like no matter how busy life gets, keep nurturing those friendships is what I would say. Oh, that's good. Well, thank you, Sarah. This has been a true joy. And yeah, so, so fun. I've been wanting to connect with you forever. So I'm really delighted to be a part of your podcast. Hi, everyone. If you are digging this podcast, please subscribe rate and review on iTunes. It just takes a moment and it means a ton to us. Also, after recording more than 100 episodes, I've created a bit of a cheat sheet on the top five things I've learned from renegades and how they get from idea to action, from dreaming to doing. I will email you the downloadable PDF when you subscribe to my newsletter. Just head to amyjoemartin.com and click on connect with me. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the show. Hit me up on social media to let me know what you think. I'm at Amy Jo Martin on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And I want to hear your Why Not Now moments so I can share them on the show. Just send me a note to whynotnow at amyjoemartin.com. For show notes and other offers, you can visit amyjoemartin.com forward slash why not now. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for my email newsletter for exclusive content and announcements. A big thanks to Rock Salt Music for all of the tunes by the talented John Coggins. And of course, a hat tip to Richard Gruer for editing and producing the show. I'll see you next time. And until then, why not now? Why not now?